0: This message comes to you from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon, where we are committed to living like Jesus and sharing His love. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. We're talking about this series, Deep Waters, I'm enjoying. How many are enjoying the Deep Water series? My definition for this series is taken from several scriptures about deep, but My first slide kind of sets the context of what I feel in my spirit as I move the church into different pastures as we preach. I'm trying to move the church into this particular season to simply push out from where you are and get into some deeper waters. That's why I wrote, I will push past my personal hindrances. We all have them. There's, there's nobody that came into the building this morning, on any campus, on any service, at any time, that you don't have a couple of hindrances that might keep you back from going after God. Those hindrances can simply be tiredness, or it can be anxiety about stuff. It can be worry, doubt. It can be concern. It can be about you. It can be about your marriage. It can be about, if you're married with children, with your children. It can be about your job. It can be about the bills you can't pay this coming month. It can be about a relationship that just kind of went right or left on you and it's not quite where it should be and you don't know how to get it back on track and you're thinking about it. It could be, a hundred things that could happen to your mind or spirit when you come into a thing called worship now worship is an individual experience and an individual exercise called called devotions you most certainly should do that there's also a corporate worship i'm dealing more with the corporate but it begins with your own well your own river begins with you you can't bring to the worship service what you don't have So whatever you have, that's what you bring to the river, and all the streams of the Lord make glad the city of God. We're all the streams of the Lord. All of us bring a certain part to the worship service. That's why I say over and over again for the last hundred years, there's no such thing as spectating, there's no such thing as watching when it comes to true prayer and worship. It's individual. You have to pray. You have to worship. You can't do it through the worship leader or through the band or other people. It's you. It's your river. It's your spirit. It's your life. It's it's how much... You have in God, it's, it's where you are. If your roots are really into Jesus and the cross and forgiveness, and uh, everything's flowing well with you, and you had a good prayer time this week, and you know how to cast all your care upon the Lord because He cares for you, and you know how to Romans 12, renew your mind, because your thoughts can kind of get to you, you know how to tear down the strongholds second Corinthians 10. And so as you go through life. It's you that brings a specific quality to the worship service and that quality comes out of your quality on how disciplined you are to push past hindrances. There's not a worship service, maybe a few in my lifetime, that I would not have a hundred things on my mind. For me, it's all the stuff going on for the service, uh, you know, just the children's ministry and the music and the sound and, and the parking lots and the people and people wanting to talk with me and people handing me a note about a crisis or someone that's trying to text me and someone that's saying, hey, this is the problem. And, and I could have every service, a ton of stuff on my mind. How I push past that is just the same way you push past it. I simply have to go deeper and go higher. I've got to push past the stuff that would hinder me from just focusing my spirit on the Lord. How many of you on all the campuses would say, um, I know what you're talking about? Yeah. So, how do we fix that? We fix it. Turn to your neighbor and say, You fix it. You fix it. It's Home Depot. Everyone finds their own tools, finds their own stuff, and you fix it. You don't call all the different departments. You go and you find out how to fix it. And you do it yourself. That's a great thought. Home Depot Christianity. (laughs) I push past my personal hindrances and distractions and wade. And it is that. There's a wading into what we would call the spirit, the presence into the deep waters of God's presence with my praise, my worship, an open heart of expectation. Deep waters this is what I'm talking about right now. Deep waters is where I have a spiritual encounter with God that transforms my life. Church is supposed to be an encounter, not an attendance, not a coming to to get it done, not a sitting in a chair so that you can say, I went to church, I've done that today, I'm done with that, now I go on with life. Church is supposed to be an encounter where you come and actually get refreshed, where you come and actually go through a a spiritual experience. But to do that, you gotta empty your mind, and you gotta get your heart ready, and you gotta enter into God's presence, and something has to happen in you in order for God to touch that piece that's in you. It's pushing past to get to, but that's church, that's every service where your life is transformed deep waters is what it's where i worship god with heartfelt passion and insatiable thirst for more of god for more of god a thirst thirsty people what i'm talking about today i'm just going to focus on that one concept thirsty people worship deeply Those who are not thirsty don't go there. Thirsty people worship deeply. Why? There's something in them that cannot be quenched without getting there. Psalms 42 is where I'm landing today. If you want to look at your Bible, I'll point out several verses as we go through the message, but that's the psalm I'm on Psalms 42. As a deer longs for a stream of cool water, so I long for you. Oh God, I thirst for you. Now David is in a wilderness experience. David is in a trial. David is in a situation that he's been uh, opposed and things have come against his life. There's no doubt that he's, he's in a hard situation in Psalms 42. He's, he's running from Saul. He's going through situations right now. He says, I thirst for you. Now remember, whether you know it or not, I don't know if I can tell you to remember, but in the Old Testament, there were three houses of worship during the 1500 years since they started having a house of worship. Beginning with the Tabernacle of Moses, that was their first house. Before Tabernacle of Moses, everything was an altar, there were no houses, there were no places. If you wanted to worship God, you built an altar and you went to your own place. There was no corporate altar stuff going on. You had your own altar, your own hill. You might have worshiped with a few family members, but it was all altar worship. Then we transition into the first building called the tabernacle, the house of Moses. There in the house of Moses, they had the Outer court, the inner court, and the most holy place, Ark of the Covenant, glory of God, presence of God, fire of God, all that happened, and the priest would enter, 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 and finally go into the one place that was the most important place called the Holy of Holies. Book of Hebrews talks about this whole thing. And in the most holy place, there the priest would experience the Shekinah glory. That's where we get that concept on that word. It comes out of what I'm telling you right now. The glory of God. The manifested presence of God. The manifested attributes of God. The glory of God. In the most holy place, that priest. No one else got to experience it, by the way. Only the high priest. Everyone else was in the outer court. Only one day, one day out of 365, one day, they were able to go through the veil, experience the glory, the presence, and the voice of God the voice of God would come in that room. Well, that was a great experience for that guy and he was kinda standing in the gap for the rest of the nation, but then later on, that tabernacle was tore down, built somewhere else, there was some trouble, and then King David came along and built what is called the Tabernacle of David. Tabernacle of David is a tabernacle where only one piece of furniture made it from this house to this tent. The most holy place piece, the Ark of the Covenant. So the whole 1st and 2nd Samuel is about the Ark of the Covenant and how the Philistines took it and how the Israelites got it back and then, you know, all the diseases that God sent against them because they did the wrong thing with the Ark and finally the Ark goes to Ebenezer, to the house of Obedidim and finally it ends up in a brand new place for the first time called Zion, the Mountain of Zion. And on the Mountain of Zion, that one piece of furniture was set up in the tent of David. No other pieces of furniture. And that one piece of furniture in Zion, that's why if you read the Psalms, every time it says Zion, it's talking about the tabernacle of David. Every single time. That's the only place it happened. And so Zion all of a sudden becomes a prophetic place, a presence place, a power place, a glory place. A, and it was the most unbelievable 40 years of the entire history of Israel. And what was great about it, it was open 24-7. Not one day a year. It was open 24-7. And there were hundreds of priests that were assigned to go up, and they would have worship 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Zion sits right here a few blocks from David's house. David's house is a house where he could actually hear the worship going on in Zion, any time he wanted to listen to it, pull back his curtains, whatever band was playing, they had all different kinds of choirs and string instruments, and 24 four seven. you were assigned for one of those hours if you were in the priesthood, and there was a whole system with this whole thing. And David became the guy who sought after God's presence because he learned the presence of God in the wilderness. He learned what it was like to build his own altar. He was the man that had a, a passion for the presence of God. He was a musician, he was a psalm writer, a songwriter. He was a man who understood all this and when he became king, he made that hill the government of God. He made the hill of Zion the place that everything ruled from. That was his place to go, to hear from God. When his child died, didn't matter what time it was. Two in the morning, seven at night, wouldn't matter. David washed, changed his garments, went up to the tabernacle. Anytime. Anytime David had a war he was going out to, he'd go up and he would wait on the Lord for the Urim and the Thummim. All this stuff is Old Testament. I don't expect you to know it all. But that was the uh, in the priest's vest. That was the, the word of the Lord would come to him. He was a man who loved the voice of God, loved the presence of God, loved to worship God. The psalmist of Israel is what he's called. The psalms, many of them written by him. Or if you go through the heading of all the psalms, you start finding most of the psalms were written by the priest in the tabernacle of David. Those were the psalms. Those were the priests. Those were the guys that were recording. Some guys were just hired only to write down what they sang. And so David had accumulated all this stuff. But at this point, he's away. He's away from that temple, that tabernacle, that tent. He can't get to it. He's on the run again. And because he can't get to it, he says in Psalms 42, I didn't mean to give you that much history, but it, it's, you know, it's like you push a button in my body and it all comes out. <laughs> can't help. How many enjoy that little bit of history? So that when you read your Bible, you'll go, oh, Zion, tabernacle of David. Oh, Koalites. Oh, those were the priests. Oh, they're recording another psalm up there. What an atmosphere. Well, we are Zion, Hebrews 12, 22. We are Zion, we are that mountain. We are that people. We are the present people. That's why it says in Hebrews 12, you have come to Mount Zion, not Sinai, which was Tabernacle of Moses. And so the language starts making sense. Oh, we've come to Zion. Oh, 1 Peter 2, 5, a building stone in Zion, not Sinai, not Lebanon, not Oh, okay, so he's talking about, and you start putting it together to understand the church was always supposed to be a worshiping community. It was always supposed to be people that hungered for presence and voice and glory and power in the presence of God. It was always supposed to be that. That was the plan. That's how God built us to desire him. In Psalms 42 David writing, notice at the very beginning on my Bible, it says, yearning for God in the midst of distresses to the chief musician, written by the sons of Korah, and I could go off on that too, how they fit into this whole thing. But that's the Tabernacle of David language. Yearning for God. David writes it, It'd be like me as a preacher, teacher. I'm not going to put it together with all the chords and I'm not going to say, okay, this is trumpet, that's strings, this is drums, this is percussion, this is uh, uh, only the altos, this is the sopranos, I think this is the guy's choir song. or I wouldn't know all that, and David might have known some of it, but he didn't mess with it. He would write it out, hand it to this person right here, and say, "Uh, put this to music. I want to hear it. I want you to sing my life. Wouldn't that be fun if you could write out some testimony of your life and then give it to the band and say, sing it to me. (laughs) I was in the pit. Jesus brought me out. Yes, I was not being able to pay my bills on the provision of God. I mean, I don't know what your song would sound like. As the deer, Psalms 42, as the deer. And David would know a lot about deer, wilderness guy, shepherd, I mean, animals. He understands as the deer pants. This is a tired deer. This is a deer that's been running. Maybe it's been chased. Maybe it's in danger. And David could imagine this deer that was in danger and this deer that is panting. David has this imagery and says, you know, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, where is your God? Now, you wouldn't know what this meant unless you just got my background. Verse 4, when I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God. With the voice of joy and praise were the multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. Why are you cast down, on my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. For the help of his countenance, oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan and from the heights of Hermon and from the hill Mizar. Deep crawls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. Wow. So descriptive of what David was living in, the natural and the spiritual. All your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and in the night. His song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you disquieted with me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Now, this is a man that is wanting to do what verse seven is talking about, deep call to deep. Something is plowing the heart of David to make him go a little deeper. And this something is his reminder about the presence and power and glory of God with the multitude that went to the house, the tabernacle of David. But now David is by himself to worship God, kind of in memory of his experiences, and he'll get back to the house. But right now, he's in a wilderness and he's saying, I thirst for God. I thirst for God. I long for you. And the whole psalm is about, I thirst for God. I thirst for God. Sometimes the Lord has to put us in a situation where we realize what's missing. We realize what's missing. Where all of a sudden you get so thirsty for God, you realize, I wasn't always like this. I used to be thirstier than this, or I used to drink more than this. There's a man. Who was standing in front of a water fountain and he was trying to get a drink and he was pushing different buttons and, and shaking and nothing would work and he was getting so frustrated because no water was coming out. He was a person that maybe did not read English because there was a sign on the water fountain, but maybe he ignored it. Finally, someone came up just about the time he was ready to walk away so frustrated, here's all this water, and I can't get a drink. And the sign says, stoop and drink. It was electrical, digital, so that when you went down to get a drink, the light or whatever it was that saw your face or saw your head go down would turn the water on immediately so there was no knobs or anything. You just bend over, stoop, and once you did, The water would flow, you get your drink. So the person stepped up, they showed the person how to do it, and he was so thrilled he got several drinks at one time. And I thought, you know, what a great illustration. Stoop and drink. Bow down. It's automatic. If you humble yourself, it's automatic you can drink as long as you stay kind of in yourself and say well I'm not going to bow down in the center bend bend my life bend my will toward God then sometimes you just don't get a drink that just does not happen my suggestion to you is to do what David teaches here in this psalm and simply bow and drink All right, here's a couple things about thirsty people and worship, all right? Thirsty people and worship. I'm taking this from Psalms 42. I'm going to rattle off a couple points here. Number one, worship goes deeper when your soul is pursuing. David says, I pant for the water brooks. Well, worship goes deeper when a person is actually pursuing, or as David explains here, to pant means a strong, this is the Hebrew word he uses, a strong yearning, longing, that does not allow you to stop. The panting pushes you. You can't stop. You won't stop. You're pursuing. It pushes you Beyond your desire to find the cold waters, you've got to have the cold waters. You know what it's like when you're really thirsty from sports or hiking or something, and you, just, you, you don't want maybe coffee, or you don't want pop, which makes you more thirsty. You just want some cold water. Somebody hands you a cold bottle of water. When I'm riding my bike, there's nothing in this world that tastes as good as cold water, right. nothing. Not any sports drink, not any other kind. I like my cold water. And nothing quenches me as much as cold water. Do you know that in your lifetime, if you live to be 70 years of age, you will drink one and a half million gallons of water? Now, you didn't know that. But you do now. Two-thirds of your body is made up of water. You can go without food a lot longer than go without water. There's something in you and your system where you have to have water and you have to have a lot of water and there's nothing that replenishes. You know that water itself, just water itself. Forget all the other sports drinks, health drinks, all the other advertisements that you read about and see. There's hundreds of different kinds of drinks but nothing replenishes your body as well as water refreshes restrengthens refurbishes your cells and your muscle like water i'm getting thirsty <laughs> first the natural then the spiritual you're built to pursue long after a drink number 2 worship go deeper When your soul is thirsty. This is verse two in the psalm, where he says, I thirst, my soul thirsts for the living God, whom shall I come and appear? Worship goes deeper when your soul is thirsty. May not be felt every moment, but in some cases, a thirst begins to arise in the soul that you can feel. God made us in such a way that we're not content to stay the same way spiritually as you are right now. God made us that way. You you cannot drink at the level you're drinking now next month, or you shouldn't. You should be a little bit more thirsty for more intimacy, for more of his presence, his power, his revelation, his word. Uh, Prayer is uh, something that begats prayer, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. If you pray, you want to pray more. If you don't pray at all, you don't forget what you're missing because you don't know what you're missing. And so you just go about it because you're used to not having that refreshing or that presence or that infilling or, or that whisper from God or that voice of the Holy Spirit that comes at a, at a very important time in your devotions. But if you never have that, you don't miss it. But the more you have it, the more you want more of it more of it. When was the last time you simply said to yourself, I need more? You know I want more. Instead of just pushing aside, I'm a little dry, a little frustrated, but so what, I guess that's the way. Don't, don't dismiss your dryness as normal. It's not. Don't dismiss a lack of pursuit as the way your normal life should be lived. And every once in a while, you might have a spiritual peak and then you go back to your normal, no-seek lifestyle. Don't believe that that's right. God's trying to make you thirsty all the time so that you'll spend more time with him and that you'll go a little deeper in worship. John Piper, who's a great modern theologian. I I like John Piper. He was reading in John chapter 4 where it talks about verse verse 14, where it says, and whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. He got frustrated reading the verse. And John Piper says, what do you mean? I am so thirsty, my church is thirsty, everyone should be thirsty, what do you mean I will never thirst again? He got frustrated with the verse. As he meditated upon it, I thought his revelation or understanding was very interesting. He said, when you drink my water, you thirst. Your thirst is not destroyed forever. If it did that, would you feel any need of water afterward? No. That is not the goal of Jesus. I do not want self-sufficient saints. When you drink my water, it makes a spring in you. A spring satisfies thirst, not by removing the need you have for water, but by giving there to give you water, but by being there in you, the spring, to give you water. I like what he says right here. Whenever you get thirsty... Jesus comes to open your well again and again and again and again and again. It's a journey from thirst to thirst. I thought that was very good. A journey of thirst to thirst where my well is in me, my fountain is there. John 7, 37 says, out of my fountain will flow rivers, rivers. I have a potential of having rivers and this spake ye of the Holy Spirit, so I know the rivers is the Holy Spirit. I have potential of having rivers of the Holy Spirit flowing out from me. And it's a journey of thirst, drink, satisfy, unsatisfy, thirst, drink, satisfy, unsatisfy, thirst. It's a journey of satisfaction and unsatisfaction. Number three, third thing that I see in this verse, worship goes deeper when your soul loves God's house. Where David says in verse four, I go with the multitude to the house of God. And then it says, with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that keeps. And I remember, and there are several Psalms where David does this, where he talked about his corporate worship experience. He says, I remember the multitude. Psalms 84 is another one. Psalms 87 is another one. There's several Psalms where David talks about his corporate worship experience, where he went into the house of God and worshiped with the rest of people. You know, I I love devotions. I read my Bible. I pray. I wait on the Lord. I have a relationship to Jesus, no doubt. And I know the Holy Spirit for me, absolutely. I know the presence of God Absolutely. I know when it's a little, a lot deep, shallow, I know what to do. There's nothing quite like worshiping with the rest of the church. Now I can flat out have revival on my own, but it is a mini revival. M.I.N.I. and I. But when I come together with the house of God, the congregation, the people. It's an amazing thing that happens. You just kind of lift up with the rest. It's kind of like I know you'll have to get used to me using all my bicycle stuff now that I I bicycle, but it's kind of like drafting where you pull behind somebody and they're moving real fast. Jay Thomas would know what I'm talking about. Well the other day I'm down just a few days ago, I'm downtown from my house, which is a little bit of a ride. And I'm heading back, and I'm, I'm really timing myself, so I'm, I'm really trying to burn it. I'm really going after it. And this girl whizzes by me on her bike, I mean, like I'm standing still. And so I said to myself, no way. And so I had to really push it, because I was already a little tired. You know, I'm about f- probably 12, 15 miles into it already. So I finally caught up with her, She's a young girl. You can tell by the calves on her legs that she's been doing this a little while. You can tell by the calves on my legs I need to do it a little while. And so she is moving. So I got right behind her and started drafting with her. She started pulling me, so much so that I had to kind of stop a few times. I would run into her, and we were moving through everyone. I mean, I was just, I felt like I was in France. I mean, we are passing everybody. And finally, when she had to turn off the trail and I was by, she yelled out, thank me! (laughs) She knew exactly what I was doing. Why? Because it says that the first biker, if you draft and you're number two, it's 25% less work. If you're the third one, it's 33% less work. That's why if they get in the packs, they can really get moving. My point is, ride your bike more. My point (laughs) is, when you worship with the rest of the church, it's drafting. People can pull you in. Their passion, their, 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 their heart, their spirit, they can, they can pull you in with them and your worship can go higher. Can I hear an amen? amen. Worship with the people of God. Number four, worship goes deeper when your soul worships. Are you ready for this one? In hard places. David When you read the psalm, he says, why are you so discouraged? David would talk to himself quite a bit. If you read his his writing, David was a talker to self person. He would say, oh soul, why are you cast down? Why are you quiet? What's going on with you? Why don't you lift up your voice? Soul, I want you. He would talk to his soul. When it comes time for worship, talk to your soul. I do it to myself. I do it when I'm riding my bike. I'm, I leave the bike stuff alone. But I would do the same in worship. I will talk to my soul. I will say to myself, oh, Frank, you wimpo. Get your hands up and forget about it. I'm a little tired. So what? You're going to let a little tiredness get to you? No. Okay, well then, I have to sometimes talk to my soul, talk to my mom. Sometimes I'll have to say to myself, forget about that situation. Forget it. Build a wall. Don't go there anymore. I have to talk to myself. Because I'm personal, relational, emotional. People thing bother me and I'm built that way. And it's probably good I'm a pastor. But it also goes the other side. Things can really get to me that shouldn't get to me. I can take it so personal when I don't have to. So I have to kind of build a wall and say, you know, do not think about that. Put your mind on the right thing. Okay. Here we go. Worship God in a hard place. Physical, financial, marital, relational, sickness, hard places. Prison, like Paul, midnight, worship God, earthquake. The translation says, why are you so discouraged? Why are you restless? Why don't you just worship God? Great advice. Why are you so sad, and why do you seem so troubled? Oh, my soul, lift up your voice to God. That, that seemed to be good advice. Why are you down on the dump, dear soul, and why are you crying the blues? That's Message translation. <laughs> Fix your eyes on God. Soon you'll be praising him again, and he'll put a smile on your face. I like that translation. Why are you down on the dumps and why are you crying the blues when you have a God that can lift you right up? How small are you going to make God and how big are you going to make your problems? It's that simple. If you focus on the problem, the problem gets bigger than God. Before you know it, that's all you can see. Like putting your thumb in front of your eye and you can't see the moon or the stars or the sun anymore just by doing that. So it is when you put your problems right there. Oh, I can't believe it. I don't know what to do. I'll never get around this. You're focusing on the wrong thing. Man, I gotta do it all the time. Get my mind off shrinking man. Back to, oh God, you're so big, you're so good, you're so righteous, you're so just, you're so absolutely liberal and generous and amazing, and watch out for every step I take, every decision, everything going around me. Lord, I am not going to focus on those tiny little things. I'm going to focus on how big you are. Before you know it, worship starts flowing. God, you're so big. You're so awesome.